This week on the Dylan and Dylan Show, three-time Emmy winner and former producer of the Mike and Mike Show, Seth Horowitz joins the guys to talk about his time at ESPN while getting into a variety of topics around the general sports world. Also, the newest addition to the Tunnel Vision sports team, Jasmine Stainlands, joins the guys to talk about her role hosting the TV sports roundtables. Guess who is back this time? The theme is MLB Hall of Famers since 2000. The Q&A segment covers the double standards of the MLB Hall of Fame voters and the controversial NFL overtime rules. This week in sports asks, was last weekend the greatest round of playoff football ever? Updates you on the NFL head coaching news and gives both Dylan's picks for the NFC and AFC championship games. show excited to be with you on this friday january 27th edition of the show dylan jesperson here alongside our resident titans fan dylan hold dylan hope you are doing better now that you've had some time to digest last weekend but how are you doing today my man today i'm doing great i will not speak to about five o'clock central time on saturday that those were not fun times at all but it had that that Titans Bengals game contributed to what was the best divisional round of all time. So I can't be too salty about it. So it kind of is what it is, but I've got over it. It's going to be fun watching Joe Burrow and that team go into Kansas city and try to pull off what would be an incredible upset. They've already had an incredible run this postseason and just being able to watch them continue going is going to be a lot of fun. That's a fun team. You, I can't be too mad that they lost to the Bengals. Um, I have other sad news, though, that I don't know that's been talked about that much. And I just kind of stumbled upon it on Instagram on my lunch break today. Um, Miami has retired the turnover chain. And I think that is insane. So rest in peace to the turnover chain from 2017 to 2022. It was a really, really good run. And I hate that Mario Cristobal and the boys at the U have decided to retire it because it was so cool. It really it brought a new era of college football, really, to to a head. And I it was so cool. I hate that they, they brought it into it. Maybe they can be swayed to bring it back because from what I understand, the offensive line coach in Miami now told recruits that that's come to an end. That sucks. But uh, hopefully they can come back someday. And we've seen other iterations at different schools of turnover chains or turnover, whatever. We talked about it back in college football season. We, we love that kind of stuff. But, yeah, sad news, but also good stuff going on. The Murray State Racers are on fire. They received 10 votes to uh, be in the AP Top 25 this week. I'm excited I get to be in the bank on Saturday to watch Murray play Moorhead State in a big game for first place in the OVC. Lots of fun stuff happening with that. Obviously, the football this week. John Morant's going to be named an NBA All-Star starter tonight. Hopefully, if not, this is going to age horribly when you hear this tomorrow on Friday. Uh, but hopefully, John Morant's an All-Star starter. He deserves to be. Uh, so, yeah, vibes are good. I, I'm, I'm staying positive. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, I'm excited to get into a a really terrific show that we have planned for you guys. Uh, Obviously, we're big fans of the turnover chain. I just want to say rest in peace to the take that the turnover chain was one of the best traditions in college football. 
that was like the hyperbole that, that I wasn't on with is like it was right there with like the tapping the play like a champion today with Notre Dame and stuff. It's like, no, that's, and this, it only lasted for a few years. So like, let's not call it one of the greatest traditions of all time. It was fun. And I think now it, it opens up other colleges to just take the turnover chain and just swipe that concept. I know we've, we saw all the copycats in the other iterations. I think we're just going to see a bunch of turnover chains everywhere now because Miami's is gone. We can have our own. Uh, it's going to kind of sour it for a little bit, but I think we're going to, f- there's going to be that sweet spot for like a year where everyone has some cool turnover chain. We're all going to be uh, on board with it. So uh, excited for that. Excited for all this fun stuff we have planned for you today. Uh, first off, uh, rather than getting into our game right away, we have a special treat for you. If you follow our pages on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever uh, you can find us, the Dylan and Dylan show on social media, we've been teasing this interview all week. Friend of the podcast, Seth Horowitz, sat down with us on Monday for a special interview. We'll get right into that. All right. We're excited to be joined by three-time Emmy winner, former producer of the Mike and Mike show, and friend and somewhat mastermind of the podcast, Seth Horowitz. Seth, how are you doing today? I'm great. That's a beautiful lead-in. If I could go through life with that type of lead-in everywhere I go, my life would be just that much better. We're super excited to have you on. We're super excited to get in some of the questions. Uh, uh, First off, we're going to jump right into it. Uh, just to introduce our viewers to you and maybe some people that are less uh, informed on, on your background as we are, uh, just give us an introduction on who you are, what you've done, and uh, what you're doing currently. Absolutely. Yeah. Seth Ortz, born and raised in Chicago. And I was pretty lucky. I started at ESPN while I was still 21. Back then, they had a lot of what they call temporary production assistants. They hired you, and after six months, they voted to to keep you on full-time or not. So it's kind of like dating and then were they going to marry you or not? And I started as someone who had no television experience. I was extremely green, which I knew. So I I owned up to that and fortunately was able to stay on and was able to be there for for 20 years. And a lot of it was working on Mike and Mike on the TV side. And I was there from the beginning and it was a small little TV simulcast and then grew into a much bigger Simulcast. And that was great to see the evolution of that. And obviously just to work with two great guys and all the terrific people on the radio side. And then went and did some stuff on sports center as well. And I think when you're working in sports, that's the escape. That's the great stuff. Like you, no one wants to hear that you're having a bad day if you're working in sports media, because that's what so many people would love to do. It doesn't, it's not, it's a different type of job. And since May of last year, now I'm doing something a little bit different, but still in the media landscape, working at A&E and post-production. So a little bit of a rookie again, which is exciting and kind of good to learn and go down a different path. And very excited right now to be talking to the two Dylans. Jumping off a little bit of your experience, I have to ask this because I see in your background, the people watching the video can see this as well. Is that a Cubs uh, picture up in your background? It is Chris Bryant. Okay. Unfortunately, now it is an ex-cop. But I was very, very hopeful that he could be a cub for life and be what Ernie Banks was for my dad's generation. Got the World Series, forever grateful 2016. But 
whenever baseball returns, it's going to be a little bit different than the Cubs team. I had to ask that because I'm a lifelong St. Louis Cardinals fan. So when I see, like, I, I saw that uniform, I saw the picture, and I was like, that's the Cubs. It's like, I don't know what it is, but it's like the red. I see it in my eyes. I'm like, oh, the, the Chicago Cubs. I don't know. It just flares up. Are you like that with the Cardinals, or is that a one-way thing? Cardinals devil magic. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. We saw yeah. a full flare this year. It was incredible. Yeah. We talked about it on this show. It was I could not believe it. It's the the devil magic is something else. And I love it. I hope I get to live it for the next 90 years. It, I love it so much. But for reverie, I always think to be good, both teams have to be competitive. And yes. there's been too many times in my lifetime, the Cubs weren't that good. And so I always think for rivalries to really be strong. Both teams have to be good because if, if the Cardinals are good and the Cubs aren't, it's not the same, you know, but it's really good when both teams are good and they can try to eliminate each other. They're both competing for the division, but absolutely. When it comes to baseball, there's only one team. It's yeah. The oh yeah. I think in my lifetime, that rivalry got fun kind of after the 2011 world series, when the Cubs kind of had their young stars coming up. Like I remember Starling Castro, which he, wasn't quite with the young core that brought the world series uh, to Chicago, but he was kind of right before I remember Starling Castro coming up and he would just tear the Cardinals up every single time we played y'all. And it always drove me crazy. And then you he, had was the still, he was young too. Like he was, Oh yeah. He was he very came young. Up early. He came up so young. And I like, yes. he was a little bit of a veteran in comparison, but like age wise, he was right there just because yeah. they sped him through, through the minors. And yep. 2015, when the Cubs beat the, the Cardinals in the playoffs, yeah. like that, that was fun. Like that it was, was peak like, rivalry. It was awesome. Like that was, yeah, that's what's like, okay, like the Cubs are kind of like legit now. You can take us seriously, like, because yeah, I mean, it should be a great rivalry. It is, but the Cubs have not often, they haven't always held up their end of it. Yeah. It's kind of like where the Yankees and Red Sox, they're always good. It seems the yeah. Cardinals and Cubs, it's just kind of like, Oh, we know it's a rivalry. And, like, that's what we go off, whereas the Yankees and Red Sox, is like, they're always good. They're always fighting at it no matter what. The Cardinals-Cubs, it's not always the situation, which sucks. But it is a very, very fun rivalry that I don't think we'll ever lose kind of the shine of it. It's just so much fun. No, I think in sports, it's always fun. Like, you need sports hate is good. It's healthy. You always need at least one team who you're like, I can't stand this team. I respect them, but I hate them. Oh yeah, yeah, a thousand percent. I was in Nashville for the Music City Bowl. I'm a huge Tennessee Volunteers fan, and I met Purdue fans, and they I, we'd just spark up conversation about sports, and they'd bring up the Cubs. I didn't know there were a ton of Purdue Cubs fans, but there are. And I was like, you know, like lifelong Cardinals fan, like I said, but I want to go to Wrigley Field so bad. Like I don't even care if they're playing the Cardinals. I just want to visit Wrigley Field. I think it'd be incredible. Like I just one of those things. Yeah, exactly. Only a day game in the summertime, and it is incredible. You will have a great time. And hey, if they're not playing the Cardinals, you can just be quiet. You might it might be a little bit safer on your end. Where if it's Cubs Cardinals and you're rooting on your team, then if you're in the bleachers, could get that could get a little interesting then. Yeah, I, I mean, I've been in Bush Stadium when the Cardinals and Cubs play, and it can get hostile. And it's like, I'm at home. What is going on here? Like, I should be safe. It's like, what in the world? But I've also been kind of like behind enemy lines. This past summer, went to Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati, and 
it was Reds Phillies. And I had like the time of my life. I was like, this is awesome. Just good old summer. It was Memorial day, just summer baseball, getting to watch a good game. It was, it was a great time. So that's not a bad idea. Just go behind enemy lines, go to like a Cubs Rockies game or something. Or it's like, it, might be, it might be easy enough to get some Cubs tickets this year too, because yeah, depending on right now, the team might not be all that great. So, Hey, you never know. Hopefully there's games. I mean, hopefully we get to a point where let's end the lockout. Let's get to a point where there's going to be a season and then we can see what happens, but we need the lockout to end. We'll talk about that in a little bit. I've got the MLB lockout written down in my more general questions, but being back to my, uh, Mike and Mike related stuff as huge sports fans. And obviously with our show, the way our show is styled, we draw a ton of inspiration from what you and your team were able to accomplish at the Mike and Mike show. Uh, just generally, what was the experience working on producing Mike and Mike for so long and working at ESPN for as long as you did? I loved it. And when you're doing a show where you're going in at three in the morning, you better love the show. You better love the people you're working with because you're certainly not doing it for the hours. And at ESPN, we were, that was the first show that they were simulcasting, you know, truly like doing like, radio on tv which i thought was exciting i knew the guys were already doing a good show they've been doing the show for four years at that point so they had really built things up and it just seemed natural that in the morning you're you're probably cutting everything as tight as can be right in terms of waking up maybe eating you know showering so it's like it working as background noise would work really well that really would slow you down you could watch it then you get in your car you go on your commute and you get to where you're going to go and you're waking up early, maybe you saw what happened the night before, maybe you didn't, but you want to know. You want to know what's happening. You want to start your day with that type of talk and get it going. And it was fun because we started really, really small. I mean, there was no promotion for it. The guys themselves thought it was just going to be a camera. They weren't even expecting any sort of B-roll to be running, which I like because sometimes, you know, you always think of like, in sports, the off-season favorite, things often don't go well. So to be under the radar, and that ESPN was really nice because it gave us time to find what worked, what didn't, and there weren't too many cooks in the kitchen. And so uh, maybe the hours, the hours probably did help because so much there, the programming and action is happening at night, and we were starting early. And that made it fun. Yeah, I would always tell people, be open to – a different road. If it's good people, I think good things will happen. And I like to say, if it worked out great, if not, I was like, hey, I'm still there. It's okay. It was a pretty safe risk to take. Yeah. yeah and I think that was something that you guys encapsulated great with the, with the show was just the, uh, the general vibe was that everyone loved each other and everyone, you know, worked well with each other. And that was what made Mike and Mike special was just, it was, almost a general sports sports show that's that ESPN didn't have in the sense of like it covered everything that and anything that was topical and relatable but it was just the guys were really the 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 highlight of it the 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 bond that they had and the the charisma that they had and the uh you know what they had together was was really special and I think you guys really did a good job of encapsulating that was there a point uh, a segment, a uh, specific point in time, uh, an episode a day uh, when working on the show, when you realize like this is working, people really like this. And what was that moment? If you can remember it. It was early on when at first, every time the show would do, we'd go on the road. We didn't have the budget on the TV side to be able to do a TV simulcast. 
And so there were a lot of good shows that we weren't able to do. But people would email in and say, hey, why aren't you on TV? And I'm like, oh, good. They missed us. Like, we're not on. If people are aware, that's good. If they're disappointed, I'm like, they missed us. Like, that was a good thing. And that's where I was like, okay, they're not just like having it on, you know, maybe because something's on. Like, they actually do, like, they want to be watching us. Like, they're, they're making that choice. And so that made me think, all right, we're doing so good here. And it also made me think, too, I'm like, good. We will get to a point where they're going to be on the road. And we're going to be able to do those shows. And we did. So I think that was my first sign of like, okay, yeah, we're, we're still under the radar here, but we're building that little, that little, uh, that little uh, army and audience base. So you mentioned going on the road. What kind of places did you guys take the show? Well, the best was always, you always said Super Bowl week. So you always were going to be, you know, part of Radio Row. And then a lot of it was, sometimes we'd be around, Monday night football games. Sometimes um, a lot of it was affiliate based, market based. So you would do different things with New York, Chicago, those type of big markets, Philadelphia. And it was always great because when you're doing a show on the road and you can get an audience and you get people there cheering, like I think that's fun because it gives you a little boost because you're doing a show in the studio, you're doing it in front of all like the technicians and whatnot, people who matter, but they're not going to be laughing so much. They can't be like cheering and clapping. And so when you hear people giving you that love, it's inspiring and it helps, you know, helps gives you a needed boost. Plus when you get guests on set, it helps so much as opposed to phoners are great and all, but when you can see the person's eyes and really play off of them, it's going to be even better. And so it was always nice. So sometimes it would be hard because it'd be, they would do a show, travel somewhere, do a show the next day. A lot of, you know, a lot of doing a show and traveling or whatnot, but they were so committed to the show and that part really helped. And what I was like too, is if I told people I worked on the show, like everybody always liked it. You know, sometimes, you know, different things people may like, they may not totally cool. Someone doesn't, but it's always nice to say Mike and Mike and people, oh, I like that show. You know, it was always always nice that people really didn't have something negative to say and look as we all know in the sports media landscape there's a lot of things that people do not like and they will gladly tell you they don't like it which is obviously totally fine but it's nice when it's positive very nice yeah um since the last time you talked with uh, or you talked with Tunnel Vision, uh, you talked to our boss Steven. You went from a two-time Emmy winner to a three-time Emmy winner with your work at A and E. Uh, we've been following you on LinkedIn and just following your work in general, and been loving all your stuff. We're big fans here. Uh, but what generally, what's it like to be awarded with something as prestigious as an Emmy? And was this third one any different than the first two that you won, or what was it? Just what was it like winning an Emmy? And, and what was it like your your third time winning an Emmy? The third one had a certain sweetness to it because it was the last one I got at ESPN. So I was like, okay, this is the bow on this. This totally closes the ESPN chapter. And I'm like, that's a beautiful way for saying to end. You think of often athletes and you kind of hope, well, maybe you can end with the title, which is very hard to happen, usually doesn't. And when I won the first one, I was like, I didn't, I wasn't expecting it. I didn't think I was going to be getting statue or anything and so to get one it's just like very very humbling to realize that kind of like 
how lucky am I because I'm getting to experience something that never in my mind the, I thought could happen, could be a reality. And let alone to get a statue and looked at my name on it. It was like, you know, it just made me think of like, okay, this makes the work, you know, worth it. Like you go down a path and you don't, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't even think about certain things. So then when they do, it's kind of like, okay, wow, like this is, this is very, very cool. And just grateful that to have those opportunities because knowing how many people won't and, you know, to, to get three, I'm like, all right, that's, that's very, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And it's a wonderful thing. You know, I always think no success is a solo journey. You know, there's so many people who help you get to where you are and, you know, so it's as much theirs as, as it is mine. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're excited for you. Uh, we're rooting for you and hopefully you can, you can add to that catalog and add to that trophy case uh, as you move forward. Uh, we'll get into some more sports stuff because as we were talking before we just started recording, uh, I think we we're going to get into a lot of great conversations about just sports in general here. So we'll get right into that stuff. If you are listening to this uh, on Friday, when the episode drops, uh, we're recording this on Monday. So we're probably still all coming down from the high. That was this NFL playoff weekend. Uh, just maybe I think at least in my lifetime, the greatest weekend of NFL postseason games. Uh, every game came down to the wire. If it wasn't a walk-off field goal, it was a an overtime winner uh, in Kansas City. Uh, Seth, give us your take on just this display of games this weekend. I think it's so often, you know, we it's easy to become a prisoner of the moment, right? But I think in this case, we're never going to see this again. It will never happen where you're going to have all four games end with final play being the decisive winning play. Like that's impossible and to think too you had three world teams winning so like that part is crazy too and you almost had another miraculous Tom Brady comeback this time it didn't happen I mean what Allen and Mahomes were doing in those final two three minutes was amazing and to think that here are two young guys and hopefully we get to see them battle a lot more in the playoffs but you never know with things and that both number one seeds who had buys lost and you really always think, okay, the buy is a huge advantage. And here you got green Bay playing in what is most definitely green Bay type weather. And they get out to the early lead and you're thinking, okay, like they're going to, and then for San Francisco, I mean, special teams and for Aaron Rodgers, not to get another touchdown after that first, it's like, you never would have seen that coming. Like it's, it's what makes sports great because you can't script it and you're always going to see something you haven't seen before, but sometimes, you know, you have that like, Oh my God, like I can't believe this is happening. And you're not supposed to go four for four like that with just wild games. Like if you go three for four, that's amazing. But to go four for four, I mean, that's, we're probably due for a letdown, right? Like there's no way championship Sunday can come close to what we just saw, but we got four amazing games that we're going to remember. And so how blessed is it? I mean, live sports is still, it's still the best. And you, everyone's watching it together. You know, you can't be watching it later. DVR doesn't, it's not the same. And so it's that collective experience, especially on social media, you know, seeing everybody on Twitter going crazy and whatnot. It's, it makes it all the more fun. You have this online sports bar that everybody gets to be at and, 
unbelievable. I mean, it was great Saturday. Was Sunday was was even better. And Sunday was like the perfect close with that game. You know, with, with Buffalo and Kansas City. And holy, holy smokes! I'm just glad to get one overtime makes it even better. Yeah, a thousand percent. I think it's amazing looking back. Just a, a few days ago, last Thursday, we sat here on this show, and I was like, "Man, Wild Card Weekend kind of sucked." And then you turn around two days later and we get like the best divisional round ever. And I know like me and Dylan, we're kind of young whippersnappers. And we, like you said, we might be living in the moment, but I I really do think this is the best divisional round ever. And it sucks me sitting here as a Titans fan. I have to swallow my pride and say it, but I, it was awesome. Uh, Like you kind of get over the loss of the Bengals because it's like that, that's a young team that's scrapping to do things. And it's like, you know what? The Titans, they were hurt all year. It, it wasn't meant to be. It is what it is. And just to be able to kind of get over that and enjoy the other games, it was worth it because it was just incredible, especially after saying, man, Wild Card Weekend sucked. Yeah, at least yours was the first game, so it's probably the game that of the four, certainly of the four, got the least amount of focus because it's everything that happened after your game. Yeah. So – if you're going to lose, lose and then have three crazier games come afterwards. And we talked about, but not nearly to the same as, you know, if every other home team had won, the games were like, eh, then maybe there would have been a little bit more. But, I mean, games aren't supposed to all end on the final play like that of, you know, be tied and then have the decisive play happen. Like, that's crazy. And Wild Card Weekend can be bad because you, you, it's all for Godbell now. No one cares. You know, like the always, it doesn't need to start great. You just want it to get better and better. I don't know where it can go from here. That would be better, but God, let's hope it can be. Well, and we kind of tried to find a good point out of the bad wild card weekend. Cause we're like, well, like it kind of shows with the blowouts. Like there's a lot of really good teams. Cause there are several blowouts and we're like, they're going to go play. These good teams are all meeting. So that should mean we have good games. And we did. So, I mean, we kind of, I'm not going to say the Dylan and Dylan show called a great divisional round, but we kind of, we kind of called our shot. We pulled a good old Babe Ruth and we were, we were like, Hey, get ready for it. Yeah, it was, it turned out to be, and, you know, terrific. And, you know, we're obviously it's, it's year two now of having the, you know, the expanded playoffs. And so I think that also makes the divisional round, you know, sorry, the wildcard round sometimes not as good because you're getting at least one team in, especially in the NFC that maybe, isn't so strong, but it's like you take care of that wildcard week and then divisional, you're getting the matchups that you should be getting. And that's where the best football comes out. Yeah. And we got some great football now looking forward of these final four teams. You've got the Bengals and Chiefs playing uh, first on 3 p.m. on uh, Sunday and then 6.30 p.m. We've got 49ers and Rams. Of those four teams, uh, what what teams do you like the most? Any storylines that stick out to you? Or what do you think of these last uh, final four? Well, look at the first game. You think of Bengals Chiefs, and that, the first time they played was a great game. You know, there's so much drama late in that game. Now, obviously, that game, you had the Cincinnati crowd going crazy this time, it will be in Kansas City. But Cincinnati's going to be going in really confident. They beat them, and they beat them recently. So, you know, they're kind of playing with this house money, this looseness, which is great. And then – in the NFC, the 49ers keep beating the Rams. So the 49ers are, you know, the, the road team, sure, but they're going to go in extremely confident because they've beaten them so many times. And two years ago, Rams, the Niners in the Super Bowl, and then, you know, the year before that was the Rams. So you have a lot of recent, you know, success there. And obviously in the NFC, Kansas City keeps doing it. So 
I think it should be really good. I think I'll go Kansas. I'm going to go Kansas City. I'm going to go San Francisco. Maybe just not to take two, both both home teams. Um, so I guess we're going to repeat of that Super Bowl in my mind, maybe from not obviously confident with the, the 49ers, but, um, you know, and obviously Burrow Mahomes. I mean, to get Allen Mahomes and now get Burrow Mahomes, I mean, you look at the AFC and you can see those quarterbacks and put Justin Herbert in there too and say, wow, that that's they're, – they're raising the bar and they're going to make it really – really hard. And then who the heck knows where in Rogers is going to be next season. But, you know, certainly in terms of the quarterback play, you know, look at the, you know, the AFC and obviously if Tom Brady were to retire, you really could have a drop there potentially in the NFC and, you know, young, exciting quarterbacks in the AFC. And, you know, if we could get a shootout, that'd be fun, right? And if we can get Burrow and Mahomes going at it, that would be highly entertaining and both offenses really could, could deliver. You know, I could see in the NFC game, you know, well, certainly be lower scoring. It should be, uh, you know, maybe that being a little bit more of a physical, physical you know, game. And, you know, obviously the, the final matchup there in the last week of the season was was a great one with the Niners needing to win to, to, to get in. So it felt a really good matchups, you know, even if it's certainly in both sides were not probably the matchups we were necessarily expecting. Absolutely not. Uh, if you would have told me a Matt Stafford team would have beaten the Tom Brady-led team at the beginning of the year, I would have called you crazy. But this NFL season has pushed me to to limits of uh, some of the things I believe and some of the storylines that I would have uh, subscribed to beforehand. But uh, we'll move on to the MLB. You brought out the lockout. We've talked about the lockout a couple of times, uh, and our opinions have gotten just more and more pessimistic as it's gone on. Uh, what's your take on the MLB lockout? And at this point, do you see us missing any games, spring training or regular season games? I'm not so pessimistic yet because there is time that we haven't got to, to say February. We're, we're certainly getting closer. Hopefully the, the pace of talks can increase because that's what needs to happen. I think both sides hopefully do realize you don't want to get reach a point where you're having a too short of a season, you know, like, you want the full season. That's good for everybody. If games aren't happening, people will start focusing elsewhere. And it's in both sides' best interest. So let's figure something out that can be good, you know, something that both sides can walk away feeling good about. But, you know, I think the hard part is it's like you have the lockout and then how much time went by before they talked again. And you're like, well, okay, do the lockout. I get it, but why aren't you talking regularly? And really using the time you have, because no matter what, it doesn't matter of who's right or wrong, fans want games. That's what fans are going to want. And it, it always comes across as it kind of doesn't matter who's right or wrong. I don't think anyone really wins if you're talking, if it goes too late. I mean, if it's a small, if the season's somewhat smaller, you know, seven games or something, that's relatively okay. That's not going to change much, but I think it's hard. If they think if after, you know, at a certain point you're pushing it a little bit and, you know, to me, like, right, we need to want a full 162 games, fans in the stands, which you couldn't even have last season because at the beginning of the season, you weren't there. Like this should be their most normal season since 2019. And now that may, you know, that may not happen, but I'm going to hold out hope that they will start to talk more. And 
we're maybe not in a good spot with it, but it still could be okay. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to sound the alarms too much just yet. How much do you think that the lockout could hurt the MLB's momentum? Because we've talked about quite a bit how this past season, it seemed like the MLB kind of put their chips behind some of the young stars, like Shohei Otani, Fernando Tatis, and the big three in Toronto. Um, do you think this lockout could hurt the momentum with maybe casual fans or even some fans that have been loyal and they're, they might just give up on the MLB? Because I've seen that conversation. I'm just curious on your take on that. I think it hurts too. You know, sometimes then it's like, if you do start the season later, are you shrinking spring training at all? Because we definitely know for pitchers, they need all the time normally to like fully get their arms ready. So you also don't want to rush something where all of a sudden now you're having more injuries and the stars you want to mark and want to be able to say, watch these guys, they need to be playing. They need to be healthy is enough for guys to get hurt anyways. And yeah, I think quickly enough, you know, certainly by May 1st, you need baseball. And you start, if you reach a point where you're getting into summer and there isn't, yeah, I think at that point, if you're a casual fan, what's going to bring you in? I think you are going to be more checked out and you're always going to have people who are going to say, hey, they're going through their own economic challenges. They just don't want to hear it. It's not relatable, and it becomes a turnoff. So it does, it does hurt. The the diehards, I'm one of them, are going to stay with it. But you always need more than that. You need more than just that base. You want to be able to to grow the game, and then you also just think of, okay, well, if you have a shorter season, you know, if you have that, well, now there's less games sometimes for families to be able to to maybe go to or whatnot, or you know, it's remember tickets are on sale. You don't want to have to start refunding or people say, well, I don't want to even buy for this because I don't know if the season will be underway yet. So, you know, the beauty is it's 162 games. So certainly it could be a little bit smaller. They would be ultimately okay. But summer baseball is great. That's what it has. So they really need to, I think April, they got a little maybe flexibility. Okay. Certainly by May, if they're not playing, it's going to hurt the season. And would make you also worry about the quality of the play. Yeah, no doubt. And I something that popped in my head while you're talking, if the season does become shorter, we get to May and we don't have things popping off, that, that makes a premium on games. Like you said, there's less games. We don't get the 162-game season. I know me personally, like I've followed the Cardinals my entire life. 24 years I've I've been following the Cardinals. I know last year I it was a random Sunday and I was like, oh, I'm going to spend $8 and go two hours to St. Louis to watch the Cardinals. That's not going to be a possibility in shortened season because games are going to be a premium. Ticket prices are going to go up. We obviously know that these owners are not going to lose money. That's been made very clear. So that, that takes away from, I'm a guy that's, I mean, I, I don't know if I call myself a diehard, but I follow baseball and I was like, Oh, $8 tickets. I'll go. I don't know if I'm going out of my way again, saying I live two hours away from St. Louis, I don't know if I'm going away for $40 tickets or $50 tickets as they get higher and higher casuals. I know won't do that. So that's, that's where it gets scary. And I don't want to see us go down that road and baseball is in such a fragile spot. I feel. Well, yeah. And you always think of, you know, the proverbial bright family of four. So if you're wherever the ticket price is now, you times by four. Now it's all the potential parking concessions and, you know, any soon, you know, whatnot that you do want to make it affordable for families. And you want families to be able to go because, What's the best way to 
for a kid to fall in love with the game is to be there. It's to have that memorable moment and then to be like, this is great. And so, yeah, certainly who knows where the owners are at after the past season or two seasons, they had kind of a season and a half of games, but they're in better shape. Than, you know, they're still in better shape than the fan, you know, economic, like they're still in good shape. And it's always, no one enjoys the labor disputes. No one is a fan of a sport because they're into the CBAs, you know, and it's necessary. It's important, of course, but in, you know, the times we're living in, which are unique, like, you know, you can certainly make the point that even more sports is a great escape for people. And if your sport's not happening, there's other sports that people can turn to to get their fill. Lastly, before we move on from the MLB stuff, uh, not to dwell on the Cubs for too long, but the Tigers did pick up a former Cubs shortstop as well. I want to know, just Tigers fans, what can they expect from Javi Baez at shortstop? Talk about going to games. Javi Baez is one of the most exciting players, and he has extremely high IQ when it comes to, to base running. I mean, his slides are incredible. He really is a guy you have to watch to appreciate. You know, the box score doesn't do it justice. He regularly will do things. You're like, oh, my God, I haven't seen that before. Very, very streaky, both good and bad. But, boy, when he's hot, it's so much fun. And I think Detroit will be a good fit for him. I think it obviously kind of was up and down in, in New York. But he was always beloved in Chicago. And he's got charisma. You know, he's got – you know, kind of like you pay attention to him. And I think that kind of spark will be good for a Detroit team that's on the rise. Obviously, you know, it's had some, you know, tougher years of late, but I think a guy who's going in expecting to win, who's used to winning, will be a positive. And it was nice to see Detroit making a big move. You know, ideally in my mind, I always want to see teams be competitive and not just to have the same few teams going after bigger free agents. You know, I think any team can win, but you know, it's not fun when you feel like half the teams aren't going after good players. Yeah. Uh, you, you said it in Detroit has been a market where we have not been going after the biggest players. It almost felt like the Tigers going, you know, entering their names in the Carlos Correa sweepstakes, uh, eventually getting the hobby bias signing. It felt like they entered Detroit into the greater market of bigger free agent signings hopefully teams like the Pistons and the Lions can maybe learn a thing or two from what the Tigers have done this offseason because uh, they've got the most momentum of any franchise in our city right now Uh, we'll move on to the NBA Uh, I sent this topic to you and I talked about Steph Curry and uh, him controlling the MVP race Uh, Dylan has a different opinion on a different point guard that might be dominating the MVP race you have a different opinion on who you think uh, should be on top of that MVP conversation. What are your thoughts on the MVP race in the NBA right now, Seth? I think it should be Joker again. I don't think he's going to repeat because I think it's very hard to I think voters often don't want to go with the same guy. But I think what he's doing, he's still playing at such an insanely high level and doing it for a team that Jamal Murray's been out. Porter Jr. has basically missed most of the season. You know, that Denver team, which has really had a lot of injuries, he's keeping afloat and they're still very competitive. And he's the best passing big man ever. You know, kind of hate to say ever, but, but he is. And he's doing so much with less support. Now, Curry's been, you know, Curry's obviously, it's great to see going to stay back. A little bit of shooting slump of late, 
So maybe that hurts him just a little bit that, um, you know, not that it's anything to, to worry about long-term, but a little bit of a slump there. I, I think Josh getting, I think the other thing with Morant we have to look at is games missed just overall the minutes played that, you know, if Jokic just played significantly more, that does factor in, but I mean, Memphis is legit. They're a really good team and they've had a bunch of injuries and it's still been good in winning games. So I think that really speaks to that they're on the rise. They're a team that let's even win a playoff. You know, they should be able to win a playoff series and really advance further. But I think it's, it's fun to see. Obviously the hope was Zion as well. Well, that's clearly not happening this year. It's going to be a lost year for him, but Jaws, Jaws for real. And you know, Memphis, you know, what you said, like the grid and grind there, Memphis is back. For some context, Seth, um, I was a college uh, classmate, I guess you would say, of John Morant at Murray State University. So we talk about John quite a bit on this show. And before the season started, we did like a top 25 players. And we both had John in our top 25. And we both said, we're like, you know, John can take a leap. And we're like, he can maybe get in that superstar realm this year. And a couple of weeks ago, we were like, no, we, he's, he's definitely in the superstar realm. He might be in the MVP realm. And I, I think that jump that he just took from just this past season where it was like, he showed up in the playoffs and shocked a lot of people with his play because a lot of people don't pay attention to Memphis, and that's okay. I, I think they like that. They, they have a chip on their shoulder, definitely. And I, I've been lucky because I get to cover the Grizzlies pretty much here at TV Sports. I'm one of the only people that writes about them. And getting to tune in every night and watch this team, it's incredible because they are really good, like you said. They, they play like everyone thinks they're this bad lottery team from Memphis, and they're just not. They have like 12 guys that are like legit like rotation guys on any team in the NBA right now. And they just go out there and they just put a whooping on superstars left and right and jaws in the center, just showing out. And you mentioned Jokic. I last Friday or this previous Friday, uh, the Grizzlies and Nuggets played in Denver and getting to see John Jokic go at it in Denver was just incredible. I was like, this is just Put it in a museum. It's just two incredible players going at it. They're both all-stars. They're both young. We can, we should be able to see this in the playoffs soon. It's it's so exciting. And I, I think it's a shame that people will have fatigue because no one's talking about Jokic, and they should because he's incredible. And I, I, I think I'm in the camp with you that he should probably win back-to-back, but he won't just because of voter fatigue, and that's a real shame. I thought that he even, you know, last year it seemed like it was hard for him to win the most because there was a lot of people who – didn't want to give it to him last year. And it was like, holy cow. And it, it is surprising because he's a very, he's an unselfish player. Like he can do so much, but yet people really don't want to see, it seems they want to give him some love that he has, he's earned and he keeps getting better and better. I mean, you think of from where he was when he entered the league, holy cow, is he, has he improved? And he's not just someone who's like bigger than everybody else. I mean, he's, He's an offensive wizard, and hopefully, it seems like potentially will happen if Murray could come back this season and Porter Jr. I mean, huge injuries to come back from, but it'd be nice to see Denver at full strength, you know, to see the West, okay, because Golden State, Phoenix, let's see Memphis as well. Like, it'd be nice to have several teams you could be interesting going into the playoffs. Absolutely. I've talked a bunch about how that Jamal Murray comeback could make that uh, Utah – or 
that Denver team very, very dangerous down the world. Dylan, do you have any final questions before we let Seth go? I do. I have a question about the Mike and Mike show, and I'm just curious, just out of general curiosity, was there ever a guest that had you starstruck? I think, you know, probably one of the, the coolest ones is even more greeny, but getting Seinfeld on was definitely very, very where it's like just loving the show, obviously not sports guy, but just someone who you're like, all right, like he wants to come on our show. I'm like, nice. He's a fan too. Like he's coming on our show. He does not have to come on. You know, like there's nothing that he needs to do. Cause you know, sometimes guests are coming on because they want something or, you know, it's, it's encouraged them to do it. He was just doing it because he was, he was a fan. So when the, the Super Bowl, you know, it was the New York Super Bowl and he came on set, it was like, oh, nice. All right. You know, like it's, that's, uh, that's pretty, pretty cool. I mean, there was the time Dennis O'Leary co-hosted and the show was totally off the rails and you're just barely hanging on because he's hilarious, but you're not, there's no scripts. You're just, you're just going to, to, to enjoy it and be absolute. We had Belichick was on that day and just everyone knew what it was, but yeah, I would go sign for it. Probably like in studio for co-host Dennis Leary was uh, just one where you're like, all right, his mind is working at a very different level than like everybody else's. That's awesome to hear. I That's something that I always just like, I'm interested in by like people talking about like they're starstruck by people and stuff like things that stick out in their head. Like I've, I've been fortunate. I've got to meet a couple people. Like I said, like I kind of got to interact with Jaw a little bit in college and jaw wasn't what he is now i think if i saw jaw again i'd be like how are you doing like i'd fumble over my words like in middle school i got to meet peyton manning and i think everything left my mind and all i said was i love you and that's all i could get out and i'm like that that's just the definition of starstruck i reckon but peyton said he loved me too so i think it worked out well hey if you're the if you're if you're peyton manning in that case like someone just said they love you like how cool is that you know i think peyton is great for being someone who like understands, you know, as he grew up where his dad was a really successful quarterback that like athletes, you know, there, there's, it means something to people. And if you're providing joy to people, like how, how cool is that? And like, you know, you, it, it passes it on. And like, if you meet someone, you have a good experience, you're only going to become more of a fan and you're only going to root them on, even if they're not on your team. And Right in general, hey, it's easy enough to be kind. It's easy enough to to treat people well. Certainly understand. Obviously, an athlete can be having a bad day or whatnot, but they really can make people's days, and that's such a special power that they do have. Yeah, it's been very special, uh, especially for us meeting some of the athletes uh, uh, in our jobs uh, for writing and and in uh, the press conferences and stuff. It shows just even even when you're being paid to do it, you can still get starstruck by some of these guys. Cause that's, that is the world of sports. That is what the emotion that it brings out of you is just these larger than life type uh, personalities. Uh, but you, you hit it right on the head, Seth. We've been very happy to be talking with you. Thank you so much for coming on with us. We will have you on again, anytime you'd like to jump on and talk anything with us where you're more than welcome as an open invitation from us. I love it. Thanks so much, man. All right. Thanks again, Seth, for stopping by and talking with us. We will hopefully get him back on sooner rather than later. Now, before we get into Guess Who this week, I want to apologize for the mistake I made last week. Uh, I put Dylan in a bad spot because it was it was our first time. We did our test run, uh, but I had 
one person written down in the heat of the moment. I changed my pick to Dre Greenlaw and that switched up because Dre Greenlaw is not a corner. And I know that. And I knew that in the moment, but in the heat of guess who uh, kind of got flustered, but uh, apologize for that. We have made that our preseason round of guess who, and this is the first official week of guess who, and we are getting into uh, our new topic this week, a topical topic of this week uh, with the hall of fame announcement coming earlier this week, our player pool for this week's version of guess who uh, is hall of fame inductees in the MLB hall of fame since the year 2000, which you might think is kind of a small number. There's some years where like five or six or seven guys get in. It's a so lot more people than I thought. Yeah. It's it, I had to cut it off at some point. I was just going to do like 70 or something like that. Cause I thought it was going to be two or three a year. It's there's a lot of people in this list and, it, and it's going to be tougher uh, than your average. guest. I'm terrified. I'll be some honest. Some of these guys have played for multiple teams, but. Uh, hopefully uh, we can uh, get this, get, get the, the right guys, get it narrowed down pretty quickly and get uh, the right guesses for you guys. But Dylan's got a coin, although he's in a different, different setting this week. He still had still, a coin ready Still have for to us. have a coin. A Rhode Island 2001 quarter. Here we go. What you got? Heads or tails? I can't. I, I went tails last week, so I got to go tails. That's a good call. That's tails. Thank God. I don't know if you can see it. Uh, it I'll go first. This, I'll try to guess first this week because I put you on the spot last week. All right. I'll, I'll try to go first this week. Are you keeping your time? Oh, wait. Let me get a timer ready yeah. to go. I also got to get my list ready to go uh, because this is going to be tough. This really is going to be tough. But I think if I can narrow it down the way I think I'll be able to narrow it down, uh, I think I'll be at least uh, at an advantage. All right. You ready to go? I am ready. All right, three, two, one. Were they inducted after 2010? Yes. Uh, after 2015? No. Okay. Uh, were they an infielder? Yes. Uh, first base? No. Second base? Yes. Is it Craig Biggio? <laughs> yes. Oh, let's go. Let's go. That, that was that quick. Was awesome. That was really quick. That was, I just scrolled down to 2015. And I was like, oh, Craig Biggio. I, that's a good pick. I would have liked that pick. And, so, uh, and I was like, second baseman. Oh, let's. It, I, all right. I came up with this pick by sending the list of Hall of Famers to my younger brother. And I said, Joshua, <laughs> pick a name, any name. And he sent back Craig Biggio. That's a funny name. And I was like, all right, <laughs> that's what we're going with. It is a funny name. Uh, I'm happy. I'm thank- thankful that he picked Craig Vigio because I was not going to be able to pick very many more second basemen out of this list, uh, but happy that he did. All right, uh, your turn. Uh, you got your timer ready to go? I do. Here we go. All right. Um, was he inducted before 2010? No. No, after 2010. Uh, did he play in the yeah. NL or AL for the majority AL. of his career? AL. Uh, does his son play in the MLB right now? No. No. Okay, so it's not Vlad Guerrero uh, or Craig Biggio. <laughs> uh, is it Chipper Jones? No. Dang, I wanted it to be Chipper Jones. Uh, was he a third baseman? No. Outfielder? No. Pitcher? No. Ooh, first baseman? No. Are there other positions? Catcher? Yes. Catcher? Ooh. 
catcher. Catcher inducted after Joe Torrey. Joe Torrey played some catcher. No. Um, catcher after 2010. That was inducted into the MLB Hall of Fame. Hmm. Who, who am I missing? Catcher. Yachty's not in the Hall of Fame. He should be a Hall of Famer after 2010. After 2010. Ivan Rodriguez? Ivan Rodriguez. Ivan Rodriguez. There we go. I'll take it. Pudge Rodriguez, former Tiger, spent some time in Detroit. Uh, he was one. He was actually my first favorite baseball player. So that's okay. Why I him yeah, there we go. I I started playing baseball around the time he was a catcher in Detroit, and I was a catcher my first few years playing baseball. So Pudge was an obvious first pick for me, and he was he was really good. He was really good as a Tiger. Obviously, spent most of his time in Texas, but uh, one of the best catchers of all time. And I don't Happy think day. I made the time cut though. I didn't. I was. I was wondering if you. Guys, I don't you guys, think I did. It was close. It was, it was very close. close. That, that's, a, are, that's a. That's uh, a instant replay that we do not have. If you are listening to the podcast, maybe uh, go back and time it yourself, and you'll you can make the final cut on that one. But that was, it was close. But I was uh, a fool this week. I'll be honest, listeners. I did the stopwatch. I didn't set a timer. That was not a good plan. I I always do the stopwatch, so now I'm going to do a timer next week just so I remember to so that this doesn't happen next week. I was but a common at fool. At least we both got the guess. At least we both got the guess this week. Yeah, we both got it. Yeah, I I, yeah, so. I was about to guess Dre Greenlaw as my Hall of Fame catcher. I was very close. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been really really funny all right uh awesome we will try to get some social media stuff out there for this stuff as well uh awesome stuff uh we will get into the question and answer stuff i'll get right into my question because it backs up off of that theme of mlb hall of famers as i said earlier uh the mlb hall of fame announcement came out this week is david ortiz was the only player voted into the hall of fame uh leaving off certain guys that have been on for 10 years guys like Barry Bonds guys like Roger Clemens who are now off of the ballot and will need uh, that special way to get into the Hall of Fame at this point uh my question revolves around obviously the steroid question comes up with Barry Bonds Roger Clemens all of these guys that were big in the PED era guys like Mark McGuire in St. Louis um but it seems like there's a there's another standard for the guys that also were related to PEDs, tested positive for PEDs, guys like David Ortiz, but weren't necessarily in that steroid era uh, who are getting, you know, not the same treatment that the other guys are. So my question is, why is that the case? And is it hurting? I think the Baseball Hall of Fame has already been hurting just by not by leaving Barry Bonds out in, in, in its entirety. But like, is it hurting the MLB Hall of Fame's the look of it by, you know, the double standard that they have for most of these guys at this point. Yes. I I think it may, the thing about the MLB hall of fame is there's such like, there's such pains in the asses. Like they want to, like they want their criteria to be so hard and they're so wishy washy. Like if David Ortiz is in the hall of fame and there's a little bit of a black crowd around the PED stuff with David Ortiz. Cause it's like, did he do it? Did he not? We don't really know. Like Manfred came out and said like, maybe he didn't do it. We don't know. And obviously Manfred doesn't want to come out and say like, yeah, David Ortiz, you used steroids. Guess what? He's still going in the hall of fame, like, and dance on uh, Barry Bond's grave. That would be messed up. But I, I think, like you said, there's a double standard and it's, it's not fair at all because Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, 
both deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. And I, I found a really interesting quote from David Ortiz, and it's from this week. It was after Big Poppy got inducted into the Hall of Fame. They asked him, they're like, what do you think about Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens not being included in your class? And he said, it's insane. I would have never believed I would be in the MLB Hall of Fame, and those guys wouldn't. He said, those guys were in a different class. David Ortiz, by every account, is a Hall of Famer. Incredible player. was like the He's the face of the Boston Red Sox, one of the best franchises in sports. And for him to say that he's not in the same class as Barry Bonds or Clemens, I mean, that speaks enough in itself. I think a lot of the time, these baseball writers, God bless them, I guess I'm kind of a baseball writer at this point, but I, I would have enough common sense to know that Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens belong in the Hall of Fame, and 66% did. I, I'll give them credit. They got 66% of the vote. I think it was Barry got 66, Roger got 65. I mean, that's improvement, but it's not good enough, and it was year 10, and they they're, they're screwed over now, um, and they have to wait for whatever the other thing is. I don't quite understand where it's like, you can, there's 16 people, but you have to have 12 votes. It's very convoluted. The Baseball Hall of Fame is so convoluted to begin with. I just, for them to, it feels like the baseball writers and the Baseball Hall of Fame, they pick who they want to be in it, obviously. But they, they like pick favorites and they pick villains. And that was the word used in the article that I read was Barry Bonds has been chosen as the villain of the steroid era and they're never going to get over it. And that's just not fair. And like, so yeah, Barry used steroids. So did like the entire league. And I like, what are we going to do? Like it, it happened. He went against guys that used steroids and he still thrived. I just, I don't know how you could put in, if you want to put an asterisk, whatever, still put him in the hall. He belongs there. Belongs in Cooperstown. Same thing with Roger. I think it's ridiculous. It fires me up. I just do not get it. That guy watching, watching him at the tail end of his career growing up was awesome. I can only imagine watching him in the nineties was even better. Um, it just, I don't know. I don't get it. And there's so few hall of fame players. Like, obviously we said there, there was more than we thought from 2000 to 2022, that's 22 years. And there, it wasn't that many names. Uh, th- there, those are two more names that should be there and it's ridiculous. They are. And I just, it's just, it all comes down to a double standard and it shouldn't be that way. And, but that's, that's my uh, analysis of it. What do you think of the whole situation of big poppy versus Barry and Roger? Yeah, I'm in total agreement. I think it's ridiculous. I think the only standard should be uh, like we said uh, with our hall of fame ballots that we did a few weeks ago is can you tell the story of baseball without this person? And if you can't, then they belong in the hall of fame. And there's no question like Barry Bonds is arguably the greatest hitter of all time. I mean, take away the home run record and he still has some of the most ridiculous stats, his on-base percentage, the amount of intentional walks that he had is just insane. There, there are some things that you can't tell about the game of baseball without talking about Barry Bonds in the, the late nineties and mid two thousands. And it's, uh, it's a shame that uh, we have to do this because I think the fact that those guys aren't getting in is actually hurting the guys that are already in and the guys that are going to get in like David Ortiz, it gets sullied a little bit that he's in and Barry Bonds isn't like Barry Bonds was a better player than David Ortiz. That's not taking away from David Ortiz. Like we said, he is one of the greatest players of all time. Maybe one of the greatest clutch playoff players of all time, but he's not like, like he said himself, he's not in the same league as Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens. Those are, those were behemoths of the league. And regardless of the PED stuff, uh, it, 
you can't tell the story of baseball without them. And it's becoming to the point where, you know, the hall of fame, the baseball hall of fame, when I was growing up had this luster of like, this is the true hall. Like this is the one where they honor the true greats of the game. Uh, they, they have a strict voting process, but they get the, the guys in. And you, when you go to Cooperstown, you go to that, you're going because the hall of fame is there. It's becoming more just like a glorified museum uh and at this point you could make a hall of fame with all the people that have missed the missed the cut missed the ballot and it might be better than the hall of fame in cooperstown i mean you've got barry bonds roger clement so many dudes that like really tell the story of baseball that don't that aren't going to be have their plaques in cooperstown that's just i it's it's become ridiculous at this point uh and i think this is just like the final straw for a lot of people uh it it sucks that it be, it came in year 10. I wish we, I wish we could have had this outrage in like year five so that next year we had another chance to get those guys in because uh, it seems like most people, even from the outside looking in are on the, on, are on our side as well. And, and it just sucks that, you know, we had, like you said, we had 66% of even the baseball writers that wanted them in. I think that should be even enough of a threshold to get them in. So uh, it sucks. I don't want to, I don't want to have to go through that other process for them, but I, I, I would assume if there's a second process and if it's open for anyone, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens are the, are the types of dudes that deserve to be in that second process because uh, you know, like, like we shouldn't be like judging players. Like, like we said, the character clause that, that goes into the, the hall of fame voting who who cares about that? There's no character clause for the hall, the writers of the Hall of Fame, the the people that vote for it. Uh, there was, where's the character clause for the uh, you know the commissioner who benefited from these guys that played in in this era and all the executives who benefited from this? You know that the double standard, like we said, and and that's how I'll, I'll round this out is the, the the double standard is killing the Hall of Fame at this point, and if they don't correct it, it's it's going to be just a glorified museum that no one wants to go to who wants to go to Cooperstown, New York, if, if for a glorified museum. No, I, a thousand percent. I, I had this conversation with my stepfather because obviously he's got to watch a little bit more baseball than me. He's older than me, obviously. Um, and I asked him, I was like, what do you think about Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens not making the hall of fame? Like, does it fire you up? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I get it. He's like, there's the stigma around him with steroids. I was like, yeah, I was like, uh, for sure. Like I understand why they're not getting there. He's, uh, but I was like, at you, I was like, would you vote them in if you had the vote? And he's like, yeah, I think I would. He's like, but I think it opens a Pandora's box. And I was like, yeah, it probably does. I was like, it opens up like a lot of conversation about, well, should this guy have got in or this guy? And I was like, I mean, that's okay. And he said the one guy that I think if Barry Bonds gets in, he has to go in is Pete Rose. And I was like, I think that's a thousand percent fair. And I think Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. I was like, if that's all the validation I needed to know about Barry Bonds going in the Hall of Fame, then yeah, put Barry in, put Roger in, put Pete Rose in and call it a day. Make Cooperstown a destination spot to be kind of like Canton has become. Canton, in my head, is very much more sought out. Like I want to visit that place than Cooperstown. And that sucks because I definitely grew up more of a baseball fan than football. But Canton seems so much cooler than Cooperstown. And Canton, like, football Hall of Fame, I mean, it's whatever. I mean, it's not it's not the, to the level of the baseball Hall of Fame. But, I mean, Canton, I don't I don't know if it's just for our generation or what. It just I, it seems like, I don't know, it seems like a cooler place to visit. And that sucks. They, baseball I mean, has a lot of things they need to fix. We're Yeah, we're at a point now where the 
MLB Baseball Hall of Fame will not include the all-time home run leader and the all-time hits leader. Uh, there's a problem with your Hall of Fame if that's a, if that's a, a fact that you're going with. So something. Kareem that Abdul-Jabbar is in the Basketball Hall of Fame. <laughs> I know you're surprised by that. <laughs> not something that other leagues have to fix, but it's something the MLB definitely has to fix. I'll throw it to you for your question, uh, NFL-related. Yeah, uh, I speaking of Canton, uh, we saw a couple guys that very well might end up in Canton play this weekend, uh, and Tom Brady's one of them. But not going to talk about that game. I think about Kansas City Buffalo. That game was incredible. The last like three minutes, the two teams combined for like I don't like a million points. That's probably low bar in it. Uh, they went to overtime after Patrick Mahomes let a drive with 13 seconds left to get a t- game tying field goal from Harrison Buckner. Uh, the Chiefs won the uh, toss. They got the ball, and Patrick Mahomes did Patrick Mahomes things, led them down the field, threw a touchdown to Travis Kelsey, and they won the game. It sparked a lot of conversation on social media, and I saw a lot of it on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, you know, like the young and hip social medias. And uh, people were asking, is it time to change NFL overtime? Because a lot of people were saying, and I was one of them, I, as soon as it ended, I was like, that game rocked. Like, game of the year, like, sign me up. That was awesome. But NFL overtime sucks. And a lot of the conversations surrounded about that. Is it is it time to change NFL overtime with what we saw and what we've seen throughout the years? Uh, and does it did it ruin the ending of that game? Uh, somewhat. I think it definitely left like a, a worse taste in my mouth than the NFL probably thinks it does for a lot of fans because – uh, for a lot of us, we grew up watching college football and college football was, you know, our love and our, our passion and college football always had the superior overtime rules. And obviously that's changed now. I don't, I'm not, we've talked about how we're not fans of the new overtime rules in college football, but uh, there's got to be some type of, it's always been a problem with me in the NFL and, and part of the reason I can't stay engaged with the sport as much as I can with college football. The other reason is my main team is the Detroit lions. So that's, that's part of it. But uh, the overtime rule is a big part of like the, the disconnect with me because it seems so broken and so unfair and they've tried to fix it with the, Oh, the, the first field goal doesn't actually count as a sudden death win. Uh, but sudden death just doesn't make sense. And it's too, it, it I feel like everyone in football with their overtime rules have tried to, you know, replicate the worst parts of hockey, which are like the sun death rule and the shootout, which are like, if you talk to fans of hockey, two of the worst rules in, in terms of like the, the, the essence of the sport, because it's like, Oh, we're going to play a full 60 minutes, three periods. And then all of it, all of it's going to come down to one goal or a shootout, like, like a, it's like deciding the the end of an NBA game on a dunk contest. Like the what's that's not the same thing. We're not we're not doing. But college football has a two point shootout now, and the NFL has always had its sudden death rules that they just are so stubborn and don't want to change and don't want to fix. There needs to be some sort of there there needs to be some sort of rebuttal. There it just has to be at this point because especially with the way that the game has changed towards, you know, offensive play. Like there is not as many stops in an NFL game. And these best games, like that game, it was because the offenses were going back and forth. And we can't have that decided by just one drive, who gets the ball first, because we knew like whoever wins that coin toss is going to go down and, and, and win the game because 
these offenses are just too good. And that's a good, that's a good problem to have uh, until you run into the overtime problems that the NFL does. So there just needs to be some sort of fix there because it's only going to get more and more like that. The NFL is only becoming more and more offensive passing wise. There's it's, it's going to come down to every game that goes into overtime is just going to, whoever gets the ball first is going to win the game. And that's, definitely not the way that we want these games to end it, it sucks that these the last second field goals were kind of like the more satisfying ends than the overtime game because the overtime game should have been the culmination of what was like we talked with Seth like we're talking we're going to talk about later maybe the greatest weekend of playoff football of all time uh but it did kind of just leave like a sour taste in my mouth but what are you thinking about the the overtime rules now so I'm with you. College football overtime has, I've always thought of it. It was like, this is the best overtime you can have in any sport. Like I, I think this is the, like the peak, like you can't do it any better. And obviously they went and screwed it up. And I, Mark Emmerich, man, I just do not like that guy. He's that's conversation for a different day. Um, I just, I hate that there's three games that stick out in my head and it's the Super Bowl. I, I can never remember the numbers, the Falcons and the Patriots, when Tom Brady had the huge comeback 28 to three and went to overtime Patriots got the ball first. They drove down Tom Brady and the Patriots won because of that swing pass to James white and the Falcons never touched the ball. That's a shame. That's the super bowl. And I get like, it's part of the game. You, you get the ball first, you get to win, whatever. Uh, and then the chiefs and Patriots played in the AFC championship. It might've been the year after it, or it might've been that year. I can't, I can't remember the exact dates. And the same thing happened. It was a tie game, went to overtime. Patriots got the ball first, drove down the field in Arrowhead, scored a touchdown, go to the AFC, or go to the Super Bowl. Uh, and then, obviously, the most recent this past weekend, Chiefs, Bills, Josh Allen never gets to touch the ball. And I just – with the way that game went, that just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like what the NFL wants. Because if someone wasn't watching that game and they're just checking social media and they're seeing Patrick Mahomes – uh, and Josh Allen are just lighting up the scoreboard over the last two minutes. They see it's a tie game, and they're like, they're like, oh, I want to turn this game on. I want to see what's happening. And all they see is a, a master class from Patrick Mahomes driving down the field, doing awesome things, and it's just over. They don't get to see what Josh Allen did. They don't, they don't get to see a rebuttal. And that, I don't know. That doesn't sit right with me. And I, Buffalo, with how cursed they've been, it's just not right. It, doesn't, it just doesn't feel right. And I, I've thought about it a lot. I've thought about it a lot for a long time. How does the NFL fix it? Because they did kind of fix the overtime rules by taking away the ability to just kick a field goal. Because that really sucked. That that was not ideal at all. That kept Brett Favre from going to another Super Bowl. Like that, that was a really, really crappy rule. But I, and my brother presented this rule to me and I was like, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's, I think more, more so in the playoffs than the regular season, but in the in the playoffs, just play another quarter. Put 15 more minutes on the clock. Whoever has the most points, they move on. I think that is a thousand percent fair. Play to an all-out winner. There's no sense in playing this hickory dickory dock, like I'm gonna use this strategy to get the ball first and win. And it comes down to a coin toss, especially with teams like Buffalo and Kansas City. God bless both those defenses. Neither one of them was getting a stop there. It did not matter. I think either offense would have went right down the field. Gabe Davis, or great Gabriel Davis, would have scored his fifth touchdown. No doubt in my mind he would have scored a fifth touchdown. I, that guy went crazy. 
it's just a real shame. I I mean, I don't know if playing another quarter players probably wouldn't love that, but I, I think that would probably be the best way. I it would have to be shorter, do like 10 minutes or seven minutes or something. And I you can get all a, a real winner instead of oh, a coin toss. And we talk about coin tosses a lot on this show because of the out-of-the-box drafts, the guess who's Josh Allen was nine and oh on coin tosses this year. He did both coin tosses in Kansas City. Oh, and two. I mean, that's just Buffalo. I don't want to like kick on your grave, but that's tough. I mean, he lost two coin tosses. That's all he lost all year. And they end up getting eliminated in a year. They really felt like they were, they were legit. That's, that's tough. I don't know. I think the NFL should seriously sit down and think about it. I know it, Kansas city's had it the other way, so they have to sympathize with it. It's, I, I think there's a lot of thinking to do. Probably won't see immediate change, but I mean, I, I would, You'd like to think anyways. My idea is essentially just the old college rules, except you start from the 50-yard line. Uh, I saw someone said that on Twitter. I was like, yeah, let's do it. And I also think you eliminate the field goals from it from the equation you just have to get into the end zone there's no there's no settling for field goals it's you have to get in the end zone what if what if they're like if you're inside the 35 you can't kick a field goal <laughs> like if you want to kick like a 50 yard or go right. for it like those aren't automatic i mean they are for like pretty much every kicker that's left but um that those aren't automatic for a lot of guys most of the kickers on bad teams but um, I mean, if you get inside the 35, don't kick a field goal outside of there. Like if you're on like the 49, you get a yard and you want to attempt a super long field goal. Why? Not? I think we just, yeah, we, we just have to avoid the like, oh, we can pick up 10 yards and settle for a field goal. Cause that could extend it super long. I think you start from the 50, you have to get into the end zone and, and that's just, you know, you, you, you uh, swap who gets to go first every time. And that, that's the easiest way to do it. I know there's a chance you get into those long nine or seven or eight overtime type games, but it's the only way to do it. Like where it actually feels like someone deserves to win at the end, because every sudden death win, unless, unless it's truly like someone kicks a field goal to start, someone kicks a field goal in rebuttal. And then that last sudden death, like those are the only sudden death wins that I feel like actually feel like the other the team deserved to win in that situation everything else just seems wrong and and yeah it, it would have felt a lot better had buffalo had their chance to to come back in that game so uh i hope there's some discussion around that uh but we'll see we'll we'll, we'll keep our eyes out we'll keep our eyes on the m shafter in the offseason and see if there's anything from that uh moving on to this week in sports uh we'll get right into that weekend that just happened uh we talked about it with our interview with seth uh, Dylan, even with your Titans getting upset, we saw probably an all the all time weekend uh, of postseason football. Uh, we've had more time to digest it, but Dylan, simple question: Was this the greatest weekend of NFL postseason history? Yes, and I say that because you talk to young people or you talk to people that are a little bit older, and they all say it was the best, and that's how you know. Like there's recency bias, sure, but old heads love to say, well, remember back in 1986 when the when the Packers and Bears played in the divisional round, and then you had the Steelers and whoever on the other side, there were three three-to-nothing games, and it was incredible. It's like no one was saying that. Everyone was like, yeah, these games rocked our socks off. The, I mean, it started off really well with Titans-Bengals was a low-scoring game. 
And it, I mean, it was just really good. The defenses really controlled it. And I, it turned out to be a really good upset by Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow's emerging as what might be the top star in the NFL, which is crazy that he's like surpassing guys because he's in a league with young quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. And it seems like every other fan base is like rallying around Joe Burrow. And they're like, we love this guy. Like I love getting on like TikTok or Instagram and it's like Cleveland Browns fans. And they're like, I love Joe Burrow. And it's like, you guys are supposed to hate him. There's like three fan bases that are supposed to despise Joe Burrow. And it's the Ravens, the Steelers and the Browns. And even they have fans that are like, oh yeah, Joe Burrow's sick. So that, I mean, he just transcends things, which is really cool. I'm sure he'll become the villain of the league before long, but he's got this like golden boy uh, status about him, which is really cool. And as a Titans fan, I can't be too upset. The Titans made too many mistakes and they just, it it just wasn't going to happen. The defense played out of their mind. I mean, nine sacks that you have to imagine if, if you would have sat here and told me last week that, the Titans sacked Joe Burrow nine times and Jamar Chase never got in the end zone. I was like, oh, the Titans are in the AFC Championship. I was like, no doubt in my mind they'd be in the AFC Championship. And you told me Derrick Henry got a touchdown. I'd be like, yeah, we're, we won that game, no doubt. And the Titans had chances, but it just, I, it just wasn't in the cards. And that is A-OK. It's the Titans, they're Vrabel and uh, John Robinson. They, they run a football team that they're going to look at stuff in the offseason and they'll come back better. I have no doubt in my mind. Last year, they said, we don't have enough weapons. So they went out and got Hall of Fame receiver Julio Jones. They're going to evaluate the things that didn't go right and everything will be okay. After the Titans Bengals, you had 49ers Packers, which was a snooze fest. I'll be quite honest. But uh, I didn't watch the first half. I will be completely honest. I did not want to watch football after what happened in Titans Bengals. I was like, I am writing my article and putting my head down in self-willow. Um, and then I saw, I saw uh, updates more and more from the Dylan and Dylan Twitter account. And I was like, hey, the 49ers are hanging around. And I was like, I picked that upset. I was like, I want to tune in. And the 49ers, that de- their defense and special teams kept them in it. They didn't let Aaron Rodgers find the end zone, which was huge. And then the special teams found the end zone. And if you're able to do that at Lambeau Field, not let Aaron Rodgers score multiple touchdowns, your defense or special teams can uh, provide points, you're – you're going to have a good chance, and that's – they won, which I don't think many people at all expected. I didn't, and I picked the 49ers. I was like, wow, they 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 made me look kind of smart, uh, which was really cool. Rams-Bucks was awesome. That, that game from start to finish was really, really good. Cooper Cup showed he might be legit the best receiver in the NFL. I know he had the numbers, but I don't – I he might have had the numbers. I still don't think people were, like, putting him number one for some reason. It just felt like that. He might have shown that he's he's the guy. Uh, especially with that last play before the field goal where Stafford just put on a dime and cup. I mean, he, everyone watching that game was like, Oh, Brady did it again. He he sparked a comeback, did it again. And then Stafford and Cooper cup said, nah, we're going to the NFC championship. That was really cool to watch. Uh, and then we talked about that AFC, the second AFC divisional between the chiefs and bills. That game was the game of the year in the NFL this year. In my opinion, that game was sick. Overtime kind of sucked, but, yeah, we, we just talked about that. Uh, what were your thoughts on the divisional round? And was it the best ever? Uh, emphatic yes for me. Uh, maybe there was a weekend from like before we were alive that we're overlooking. But like you said, I haven't heard anyone this week going like, actually, the divisional round of 89 was better. So I'm going to continue to say that this was the best uh, weekend of all time. Uh, for people that think that like Saturday was less 
fun on Sunday. Like, come on. Like it was two back-to-back upsets of with last second field goals. I mean, uh, Tannehill throwing that late pick in crunch time. And then like the Packers special teams failing in the clutch. Like it felt like everything was like poetic justice at the end of those games uh, with the way that they were playing out uh, and made me look so stupid with my, my Packers take for all year. They're not making a 30 for 30 on a team that le- loses in the divisional round. So uh, uh, that take was wrong. I, I will um, hand up. I'm wrong on that. Uh, Sunday was obviously awesome. I do think the Chiefs Bills game, uh, like we talked about, more of a buzzkill than the NFL thinks. Uh, we're gonna have to figure out the OT stuff, but uh, like I, I think, like just overall, when you get four games, like we said, like Seth said in the interview, when you get four games that come down to the final play, uh, it's not supposed to happen like that, and so unexpected. I mean, I picked. I picked all these games wrong uh, and I'm like happy about it because the games were so good and so unexpected and so many twists. Uh, you can't, you can't write a script uh, as good as that. Uh, and I can't go past the segment without addressing this. Uh, a big storyline I've held throughout my sports life died on Sunday with the Rams beating at the Bucks because, you know, despite the Bucks having two of their top offensive linemen out, uh, despite Tom Brady almost doing another 27 to three comeback and almost doing one of those Tom Brady things, a Matthew Stafford led team beat a Tom Brady led team in the playoffs for as long as I can remember, I've been preaching that Matthew Stafford cannot win a big game. Now, this is a different team. Obviously this Rams team is a lot different than the Lions teams that he played on, but it, it just shows to the fact that like, I, I'm trying to unsubscribe from the notion that certain players aren't winners. Anyone can be a winner. Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl. Like with the right pieces, anyone can be a winner. And I never thought I'd say this, but Matt Stafford Stafford right now is a winner. At this point, I'm kind of expecting him to win the Super Bowl. Like I talked to you earlier in the week. I I think the Rams are the most talented team left. And I'm kind of expecting them to, to just run the table at this point and prove all of Matthew Stafford's doubters wrong that were in Detroit while he was in Detroit. And that includes me because I doubted Matthew Stafford a very long time for a very long time. And now uh, I'm kind of on the train. I kind of think that he's going to get it done. So uh, I almost, almost want to apologize for the Matthew Stafford takes, but I almost think at this point, now that I've said all of that, it's all going to come back to bite me and he's going to somehow lose to the the 49ers. The 49ers have, have the Rams numbers this year. I just think, the Rams are just so talented. That that roster is so awesome. I think they have the best chance. I really do. Uh, moving on uh, to the updates in the NFL coaching realm. Two seats are filled today. Uh, Matt Eberfluss uh, from uh, from Indi- Indianapolis, the former defensive coordinator, he takes the Chicago job. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett is on his way to Denver. Uh, Sean Payton stepped down as head coach of the Saints earlier this week. And Dan Quinn announced that he is returning to the Cowboys after multiple interviews for head coaching gigs. So Dylan, uh, give me your take on all the latest news in the head coaching world in the NFL. So the Hackett stuff to Denver really, uh, that intrigues me because Aaron Rodgers that, that swirled around with Denver a lot. And like one of the first shows we ever did together, we talked about Aaron Rodgers possibly going to Denver for this past season. And that's been, I mean, it's swirled around so much. It's been very heavy. Aaron Rodgers to Denver. And I mean, there's still rumors. With them hiring Green Bay's offensive coordinator, it's like, whoa, that, that that's a little on the nose. I don't know what Rodgers' relationship is like with Hackett. And with Aaron Rodgers, 
there could be stuff out on the internet that says they're best friends and it could be a lie. Aaron Rodgers is such a wild card. There is no telling, but I, I think the Broncos, they, they've been such a defensive heavy team for a long time. They went, they like, we have the pieces uh, everywhere to have an explosive offense and just don't, we need an offensive mind. We need a quarterback and they got the offensive mind in there. Now they, they can stick with Teddy and Drew Locke or, I feel I have a good feeling that uh, they're going to try to go out and get a big name quarterback because that seems like what a lot of teams are going to try to do. And Denver is definitely going to be at the top of that list because they want to win and they're in a very competitive division. And they, if they don't have a quarterback, it's going to be hard to win that division with Las Vegas, uh, Los Angeles and Kansas city all having, well, Derek Carr is pretty good. Justin Herbert is emerging as a really good quarterback and Mahomes is number one in the league. Uh, that they have to do something to find a guy that can lead them to victories. That's and Drew Locke's probably not the guy. And Teddy, I I would love to see Teddy be the guy, but he's probably not the guy for Denver. Um, Sean Payton, that news really stuck out to me because I did not expect it at all. He just like announced his retirement out of nowhere. I was like, whoa. Uh, I and then like you think about it, and it kind of makes sense because the the Saints are in a weird spot. That division as a whole is in a weird spot because if Tom Brady retires. It's like, who's the best team? I mean, I guess Tampa Bay, but it's like, who do they get to replace Tom Brady? Because Jameis is in New Orleans. So I like, I, do they trade for a quarterback? Could Aaron Rodgers go to Tampa Bay? Like, what's going on there? Like, and it seems like New Orleans is going to end up being in a rebuild. And Sean Payton didn't want to coach through a rebuild. You, that, That's just not what he wanted to do. He doesn't have Drew Brees. It's just a whole new – like, this year was so different for him. And they didn't have the same success they've had throughout his time in New Orleans. And it just, it kind of, it makes sense the more you think about it. And with that division being so weird, where like next year, if all these things happen, Atlanta could win the South. Like that's like, that's a weird division. So I, I fully get it. Um, the Bears hire does not surprise me at all. I wanted them to go offense. I want them to go all in on Justin Fields, but them getting a defensive guy. It's like, yeah, that's the Bears. That's what they do. It, it, it just makes sense. And the Colts, the Colts were the most hyped up team of all time. So, you know, you knew the coordinators were going to get swooped up. So that, that makes perfect sense. And then Dan Quinn surprised me, him not wanting a head coaching job. It's like, okay, he's all in on the Cowboys. Good for him. I, I expected him to be one of those guys that takes a job away from like Eric B and me. And I'm glad he's not. I, Eric B and me is still going to have a chance to get a job. And he very likely will. I, I hope so. Surely. Uh, and then there's been rumors like Byron Leftwich uh, in Jacksonville, which would be really cool. I, I don't hope he has success in Jacksonville, but I, it'd be cool if he got the job, at least against the Titans. Have fun against everybody else. But, yeah, uh, I just – I want to get these offensive coaches in there because offense is so much more fun. I know defense wins championships, but let's put points up. I, I, I've i been uh, of that notion for a long time. Get the offensive coaches in. Let's score points. I know the Titans have a defensive coach, and we've been good since he got there, but – Offensive coaches, get more of them. Yeah, uh, I'm right there with you. Uh, I expected in that vein, I expected the Bears to be hiring a Jim Caldwell today and not uh, not a defensive-minded head coach. But, uh, you know, that, that does speak to the Bears. Uh, and I'm, I'm with every head coaching gig that gets filled without Jim Harbaugh being announced as an interviewee or a, a candidate for those jobs, 
my heart settles a little bit more. It's still not out of the woods yet, especially with our defensive coordinator taking the Rams defensive or the not the Rams, the Ravens defensive coordinator job. Uh, things are getting scarier and but less scary at the same time. That's that's a weird up in the air process. Uh, I talked about Nathaniel Hackett at one point. I can't remember when, but it was during one of our head coaching discussions. Uh, and I think he's going to be a home run in Denver. Uh, and I'm, like you said, a lot of people are making that Aaron's Aaron Rodgers connection, and rightfully so. Uh, and this rumor makes that that much more real. But I think the Broncos are poised to take off regardless. Like you said, they have pieces all over the place with like Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon would both be starters on most teams and they're a tandem backfield. Uh, you've got guys like Jerry Judy at wide receiver. Uh, Noah Fant, I think is sneaky. One of the best young tight ends, like receiving tight ends in the league. Cortland Sutton is a stud. Cortland Sutton is great. I mean, that Patrick Sertan, I think is going to be a really good corner. And I think uh, uh, Baron Browning had a really good rookie year too. So I, that, that team I think has pieces all over the place and you get a guy like Nathaniel Hackett in there. And like you said, just the right quarterback. I don't think he's necessarily on their roster right now. And whether it's Aaron Rodgers or whether it's just someone that they go out and draft, uh, I don't think it really even takes like an elite guy. It just takes, you know, someone just a bit better than what they have on the roster. And I think they're destined to take off. I think that's it throughout the weeks that sneaky become the best job in my opinion out there. And I think Nathaniel Hackett is a, is a home run hire for them. Uh, Dan Quinn, like you said, uh, surprises me. Uh, it makes me think though, that the offers out there weren't, uh, you know, as intriguing as you, you might think. Uh, so maybe the, 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 the offers out there from the teams that, that would take a chance on a Dan Quinn as a second time around, were just not as good. And you want to stick it out with Dallas. Good for Dallas. Uh, and then Sean Payton, like you said, surprising, but I think we probably should have known it I, I said coming into the year I was kind of down on the Saints more than most people were uh and then Jameis got hurt and you really saw how how fragile that team can be because I mean without Drew Brees leading that offense Alvin Kamara and, and Michael Tom, uh, Michael Thomas didn't play much but most of that offense looked pretty pedestrian with those those quarterbacks back there and that's not that's not saying those guys aren't good that's saying Drew Brees did a lot and Jameis is not going to be able to replicate that. And that, that was going to be a big drop off. And I think we should have expected that a little bit more from the saints. And, and, and it, I expect kind of the saints organization to kind of take that drop. Drew, Drew Brees was a once in a lifetime quarterback for that organization. I think a lot of people are going to finally start to realize that now as the saints organization kind of goes down without him, but uh, we will see how that plays out. I'm interested to see where that that hiring process goes. They're kind of in the late stages now. They're going to have to figure out where they go with that. Uh, and we're going to keep our eyes on all of the breaking news and the NFL coaching rumors and news of all, all going down uh, in these next couple of weeks as the conference championships roll around. And of course, as the Super Bowl gets going. Last but not least, uh, we talked with a newest addition to the TV sports staff this week, Jasmine Stalens. Uh, new host of the roundtable jumped on with us uh, just to introduce herself uh, and get acclimated to the podcast audience here. So we will cut for that real quickly. Right now we've got joining us uh, the new host of our roundtables. Before I let her speak, I kind of want to give a little bit of an introduction, a little bit of a recap, I guess. I don't know. I'm talking off the old cranium. 
Um, you guys that listen to the Dylan and Dylan show, you've more than likely checked out the roundtables we've done throughout college football, the NFL. We did the NBA finals last summer, which was a ton of fun. I uh, did quite a few uh, roundtables, uh, but our boss, Steven, has brought on a new addition to the team to handle the roundtables, take some workload off of us because he, he sees the, the valuable assets that Dylan and Dylan are. Um, so we've got a new host of the TV Sports Roundtables, and that is Jasmine, and correct me on your last name, Stallions? Stalins, like Stalins. Stalins, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. so sorry. Jasmine Stalins. That's me. Um, how are you doing, Jasmine? I'm great. How are you? I'm fantastic. I, I can't complain at all. It's good vibes always on the Dylan and Dylan show. Mm-hmm, always. <laughs> um, so I, I kind of just want to give you the floor to just kind of introduce yourself to our audience. Perfect. Okay, well, hey, everybody. My name is Jasmine Stalens, like stay, contact lens. Got it. And I am the new host of the roundtable. I am a senior at Wayne State University. I'm getting ready to graduate really, really soon. I am an NBA dancer, professional dancer. I have a major in broadcast journalism, minor in film and psychology. I'm working on becoming a news anchor, reporter, maybe like an in-arena host somewhere, move out of Michigan, work on that. Um, I don't really have anything else that pretty much covers it. Did you say an NBA dancer? Yes, I'm an NBA dancer. Like, what does that entail? Oh, you know, I feel like, you guys need to know this. It's a lot more than just being on the court, you know, out there just being pretty. You know, we do a little dance. There's so much work that goes into it. We literally have rehearsals almost every single day. We have to go out, you know, do you have to do your own makeup. You have to do your own makeup. You have to go to the gym. You have to be tan. And then you also have to, besides all of the like looking stuff, you have to interact with everyone. So we go to community events. We go to you know, just like any type of event that they invite us to. And you have to interact with people, be that host that like, you know, introduces everyone to the Pistons game. When they walk in to the arena, you really have to be that like welcoming face. It's like, hey, we're about to have fun. Come on, let's do this. Yeah. That is awesome. I did not know that. That is incredible. I think that's really cool. And I have to ask this. I want to know if you, first off, if you saw this and second, your reaction to it. It was a couple weeks ago. I think it was the Utah Jazz. I'm not a thousand percent sure. Uh, it was the dance team was out on the floor doing the routine. And one girl, she noticed the rest of the team was doing a different routine and everything yeah. was going out of whack. And it turned mm-hmm. out her fian- or her boyfriend came out on the court and uh, proposed. Yeah. What in the world would go through your mind if that happened? Um, as like someone If that was me or if I was the one dancing. Just like, know? yeah, yeah. So I would freak out because it's like, It's kind of really the scariest thing, even though you've been dancing, I've been dancing on the court for three years. So no matter how long you've been dancing on the court, it's still the most like nerve wracking thing that you can do. Like you kind of get nervous every time. So if I was standing there and everyone else around me decided to start doing a different dance, I think I would just pass out. I think right there. Yeah, I think that's fully understandable. You're standing on the court. Is it still Little Caesars Arena? I'm not in the Okay, I thought so. (laughs) It was the palace at Auburn Hills my entire life. So I have to get used to it. Um, Yeah, I could only imagine. That would be terrifying. Honestly, run off and start crying. Yeah, I think (laughs) that's an appropriate response. And full credit to the girl that just like powered through like a soldier. Mm -hmm. Because that's Oh yeah, she was looking around. She was like, I'm going to catch this dance. She was looking at everybody else. She's like, I'm going to catch this. I don't know what this is. She's like, I'm going for it. And it, hey, it went super viral and it made her look great. So kudos to her. Um, Mm -hmm. You spoke 
you're a, a Detroit Pistons team dancer, which is awesome. Yeah. Do you support mm-hmm. all the Detroit teams? I know Dylan does. I know a lot of the people we work with do. So are yeah. you a Detroit gal through and through? Oh yeah, of course, through and through. I'm gonna go with all my Detroit teams. Are okay. Are you a Michigan fan or Michigan State? Ooh, I don't know. State. Oh, what do you think about that, Dylan? I got no comment. I got no comment right now. (laughs) I know. I saw the hoodie and I was like, I really have to think about this answer. I'm so sorry. You're fine. fine. I I always think those kind of interactions are fun, especially coming from like Kentucky, where I am nor a Kentucky fan or a Louisville fan. And I just mm-hmm. see everyone in the States like, you got to pick a side. And I'm like, go Vols. I'll, I'll go a little farther south to Knoxville and cheer on the Vols. Um, another a question that popped in my head right before we started, going off from uh, the Pistons dance team in Michigan sports, um, what, what things do you plan on bringing to the round tables? What new, uh, I don't know, assets? I don't know if assets is the right term. I don't know. What would you like to bring to the round table that maybe me and Dylan were missing on? You know, I feel like, you know, you guys do a great job. I honestly, I studied you, you know, so just to get it like We're a good people to study. I, I don't want to toot my own horns, but toot too. Yeah. You know, I got like big shoes to fill here, but I feel like, you know, like sports is such a male dominated sport and we had like males, you know, running the round table. So I'm like, once I get in there, I want to like provide like the female perspective and, you know, just add a little like my own spice to it. I have a big personality. I have huge, like sarcasm, you know, goofy person. So I feel like it's going to be exciting just to work with you guys and be in there just to interact with each other. Oh, for sure. I, the round tables are so much fun. I have a blast doing them. And anytime like Dylan or Steven will be like, Hey, we have a round table coming up. I'm like, let's go. I get to talk to people that just aren't Dylan. Like, I love talking to Dylan every week on the Dylan and Dylan show, but we know what we're, each other are thinking at this point. So it's nice mm-hmm. to get other people's perspectives. And we get to talk about things maybe more in depth than we usually do. And going off that, what are, what are some of the topics in the world of sports that you are excited to tackle? You know, I feel like I want to leave the actual sports, you know, to you. And I want to cover, you know, the things that like people don't really talk about, the like entertainment news. Like, I don't know, it, you definitely 100% saw this. At Little Seas Arena, this was probably a couple months ago, when was it LeBron uh who did he smack he accidentally Isaiah hit Stewart he hit Isaiah I was right there front and center for that experience. what was that like it was insane I literally I was like because I can't do anything as the dancer I was like I don't I can't like start like anything start yelling so I kind of just had to sit there and like hold my tongue on it but everybody was screaming everyone was like Malice at the LCA Malice at the L-. like literally everyone's screaming yelling so I would love to like get topics like that you know like the little interactions between the players or just you know the little fun stuff i will never forget when that happened because i think it was like a sunday afternoon maybe Mm -hmm. i maybe something like that it was a weird time for a game and i took a nap and i woke up and they're like the malice at the palace 2.0 and i'm like what is going on it was insane and they kept making this announcement over and over again they're like you will get kicked out if you don't stay in your seats and i was like looking around i'm like please no one get out of your seat no one throw anything no one throw a beer no one throw a chair we're good we don't need this to happen again see i i'm not happy it happened but Dylan kind of got to give me a hard time after my Tennessee volunteers at the Ole Miss game. Things like that did happen where fans were throwing beers on the field and water and anything, a golf ball, mustard, anything. So trust me, we, 
we've had the fun times about all the fans doing crazy stuff and all that uh the shenanigans that can happen Mm -hmm. at these sporting events um let me think what else do you think our listeners should know about jasmine what else they should know about well i'm not really in tune with the sports outside of professional sports well i know professional basketball professional football you know what everybody else knows the general but like i'm excited to get with you guys and actually have talks about other things i see that you guys cover fights and hockey i don't really know much about hockey but like i've been trying to we are not the guys for hockey we will put our hands up we try but (laughs) but i know you guys do other things you're talking about other things outside of the professional nba and the nfl and stuff like that so i'm excited to you know get into that know that i am not a professional in any way shape or form but i'm here to talk about it i'm ready to sit here and listen observe and participate A mentality I've took in 2022 is I want to learn something new every day. And if you stick around me and Dylan Jesperson in these roundtables, you're going to learn something. It might not be useful, but you'll learn something. I can promise that. Anything is useful. (laughs) DJ, you got any questions for Jasmine or advice as uh, she gets ready to take over the roundtable? Let me know. I don't have any questions because you stole all of my questions. Uh, advice wise, uh, stay prepared. Uh, I've watched your highlight reel or your demo reel. I think you're going to do a great job. We're really excited to have you as the host. Um, stay prepared and stay uh, knowledgeable. I know you said you're only uh, you've only got like the professional sports in your background. Uh, I think with this expansion of the roundtable, we're expecting it to go as far as we can make it. We've got a bunch of soccer guys on the staff now. We've got a bunch of fighting guys on the staff now. We're going to test your versatility for sure. So be able, if you're truly ready for that, I I think we're uh, extremely excited for what you're going to bring to the table. Oh, yeah, I'm ready. (laughs) I'm excited to test my versatility. I didn't you know, even think about all that stuff. I don't know if you're going to be on the soccer ones, Dylan. I'm not sure about that. I could be wrong. Probably not. I'd like to squeeze into a soccer or hockey. Maybe just hang out. Just be like, hey, that was cool. I agree. Uh, yes, we can hang out in like the corner together. I'll be a hype like, man. Yeah. Yeah. When we have to like cut people off, I'll call you. I'll go. Hmm. I, yeah. Be like, hey. They're out. They're done. Yeah, you're done. All right. That'll be us in the corner. That's fine. I am fully down for that. All right. Thank you, Jasmine, so much for joining us. You can catch her on the next roundtable, which I believe will be an NBA roundtable coming very soon. So stay tuned. There's a stay tuned for that. And we will get to that to you very shortly. But thank you again for stopping by, Jasmine. Thank you for having me. All right. That is going to do it from the Dylan and Dylan show. Dylan, do you have any final thoughts before we get going? Yeah, we got to do our picks. You I, silly goose. I almost forgot the picks. I almost forgot the picks. I am a. We're not done. We're not done. We got to get the picks in for the conference championship games. I can't believe I almost forgot, but we do. Uh, We've got two conference championship games on Sunday, January 30th. First, the AFC rematch between the Chiefs and the Bengals. Uh, Dylan, who do you got? I've rode with the Chiefs all playoffs. I picked them in the uh, wild card, picked them last week in the divisional. I'm staying with it. I think it's like Patrick Mahomes is like Thanos in the AFC. He's just inevitable. And I, Joe Burrow, the run he's been on was, it's been awesome, but it's just, it's going to be really, really hard to go into Arrowhead. It's going to be a pissed off Arrowhead stadium. That crowd is going to be mad because Joe Burrow said, Oh, I played on the road in the sec. The Arrowhead stadium isn't going to be that loud. They're, they're going to be fired up and they're, they're going to make it tough on Joe. 
and that entire Bengals team. And it, it's Patrick Mahomes. He's he's so good in the playoffs, and it's hard to pick against them. So, yeah, go on, Pat. Yeah, my mind says the Chiefs, but my heart says the Bengals. Like, if you're asking me for my genuine pick, who I would take as a bet and who I think, like, is going to win this game, it's KC all the way. They've got just too much. They're too experienced. They're the team that I expect to be able to pull this off. Uh, the Bengals have too many obvious flaws that I don't think that they could get over, even with them winning the last time these two teams played. I think KC is the better team. But who am I rooting for? I'm rooting for Cincy, no question. Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase make them the coolest team left, the most fun team left. And if you're not rooting for the Bengals at this point, even as a Titans fan, I think – Oh, I'm also have, rooting for the Bengals. Yeah, you have a heart of steel. It's just it, – it, you, you. No, if, if the Bengals win, I will be in Cincinnati for the Super Bowl. No doubt in my mind, I will be there. Yeah, they are America's team right now, now, no question. All right, on to the NFC. Two teams even more familiar with each other than the Rams and the 49ers. Dylan, who do you like in this game? Um, I've also rode with the 49ers throughout these playoffs. Picked them in the wild card, picked them in the divisional. I'm picking them again. They're, they won six straight against the Rams, which is like a scary streak that's like, oh, can they really win seven in a row? But they say that, like, can you beat a good team twice? They beat them six times in a row. I – Kyle Shanahan knows what he's doing against Sean McVay. It's very clear. Those are two guys from the same coaching tree. And the Rams are just straight up better. There's no doubt in my mind the Rams are better. And I won a Rams-Chiefs Super Bowl really bad. I don't think we're going to get it. I think we're going to get a 49ers-Chiefs Super Bowl. That's A-OK because Jawan Jennings is a San Francisco 49er, my favorite Tennessee volunteer ever, and he's going to be in the Super Bowl. I'm going 49ers. Who you got? I'm going to go with the Rams. I, I think uh, these teams are just so familiar with each other. And obviously they've played each other so many times. Like you said, they've won six times in a row. But I, I think in the game where the teams are this familiar with each other, there's no fooling the other team. There's nothing that really Kyle Shanahan can do that's going to fool Matt LaFleur and that, and that coaching staff. So it's going to just come down to talent. And I just, like you said, I think the Rams are just too talented, too good. And adding Von Miller to that, that pass rush, just gives them that extra edge that I think they get past the 49ers this time. They go on the Super Bowl uh, and they play the Chiefs most likely. But I'm I'm rooting for Bang- Bengals 49ers would be my pick, like in my heart of hearts. Uh, in my head, though, I think it's it's pretty obvious KC in, in, in uh, L.A. And I can't wait for that game if that ends up happening, because if we remember that, that would Monday, be awesome. That Monday night game of, from a few years ago was insane. And that was with Jared Goff as quarterback. Can you imagine what Matthew Stafford against Pat Mahomes would look like in the Super Bowl? That, a whole lot of points. Sounds like a lot of fun to me. It sounds like a lot of fun to me. Uh, now, Dylan, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up here? Yes. Like I mentioned in the intro uh, tonight, if you're listening, uh, when the show comes out, Last night, the NBA will announce their all-star starters. Uh, I fully expect Demetrius Jamel Morant to be among the 10 selected to be starters. If not, I will be a very upset young lad. I, I don't see any reason why not. Last night, I think he put a nice exclamation point on why he should be a starter. Went into San Antonio. I know San Antonio is not that great. But San Antonio is a team under Greg Popovich. They play hard every single night. Got to go against the guy in DeJounte Murray that deserves to be an all-star this year. That's a guy that's been slept on. Um, and scored 41 points, uh, five rebounds, and eight assists. I mean, just put on a show. Showed he's one of the best point guards in the league, and if not, one of the best players in the league. I mean, just incredible stuff. And then one more thing. Last week, we became, you know, a Timberwolves podcast. 
the Timberwolves are 2-0 since the Dylan, Dylan show started uh, supporting them. The other night, Anthony Edwards had 40 points, an amazing performance. Uh, I, I'm excited to keep an eye on the Timberwolves as the season uh, winds on as we show support to the boys in black and blue and neon green and whatever wet, uh, other wacky colors the Timberwolves put on. Uh, but yeah, hopefully Cat and uh, uh, Ant will make the NBA in my final. Yeah, we're all good there. Uh, Yeah, uh, my final thought just before we go, uh, you might have seen on Twitter today, if if you've been tuned into the USFL news that has been coming out, Jeff Fisher has been announced as the Michigan Panthers next head coach. If you don't think I'm going to be getting to a Michigan Panthers game whenever this USFL starts, you're, you're sorely mistaken because I cannot wait to watch Jeff Fisher come back to, to coaching uh, football games in my home state. I can't even imagine. It's going to be so much fun. I can't even wait. Uh, Jeff Fisher's awesome. So yeah, I cannot blame you. uh, That's going to do it from us at the Dylan and Dylan show. Thank you to both Seth and Jasmine for joining us today. Uh, Happy to have you guys on. Uh, You can find the show on social media at Dylan and Dylan show on Twitter and Instagram. You can find tunnel vision sports on Instagram at at tunnel vision sports underscore on TikTok and Twitter at underscore TV sports on Facebook and LinkedIn at tunnel vision sports and on the web at TV sports mag.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy the conference championship games and we will see you all next week. See you later, everyone.